Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of a live stream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church, Akron, Ohio. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines, and we're going to go ahead and get started with music to allow people to jump on with us because that's what we normally do. Uh, first of all, I'm going to, I have music from the Community Praise Church Praise Team. And that music is going to be uh, Lord, You Are Good. It's a very, very nice uh, version of this song. So here it comes right now. Thanks for being here this morning. And good morning to Arlen. Good morning to Erasco. Thank you for joining me this morning. Amen. Amen. Lord, you has been good. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. We're another day in the Lord today. Morning, Debbie. Good morning, Clorinda. How are you? Larry and Ann, good morning. Barbie Mansfield, good morning. Roscoe, Roscoe, good morning. I think I said good morning. I'm not sure. <laughs> Amen. I say good morning to my cats, too, because they're walking around. <laughs> Because they're all, they're both walking around. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, okay. Very good. Very good. Everybody's getting in position to listen to Sunday school. <laughs> Joanna and Charles, good morning. Good morning. Cindy Phillips, good morning. Amen. Ronnie, good morning. Veronica, Ronnie. If I could ever understand why some can, you can see some and not see others, and I can see some and you can't see, I don't know. I have no idea why. We'll try to cover everybody we can see. Jackie, good morning. Single cup or double cup today? start with a single cup. Heads up for those of you who are coffee drinkers with the K-Cup. You can purchase coffee with half the caffeine. None yet. Oh, well, we got to get on the stick here. You actually can purchase K-Cups uh, of coffee with half caffeine if you're concerned about taking in too much coffee, which I think is a pretty good deal there. At your local grocer. It's not a commercial. I'm not going to give a name. So, But they are available. And Barbie's on cup number two. <laughs> well, this is my first cup, but this is a large cup. <laughs> It'll carry me through towards getting to church today. Theoretically. Quantity, yes. Quantity and quality, though. A bad cup of coffee ruins everything. That's right. The Lord is indeed good. Amen. He is worthy of our praise. Larry and Ann, good morning. Amen. Amen. Has been good. Been 
we always have to start with ourselves, don't we? We try to compare, you know, what's going on in the world today, but it has to start with where we are at first. It's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I have not seen that. I haven't been to Starbucks recently, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'll take I'll take your word for it. I'm sure they are. Um, Starbucks is, is is good. There's no question about it, right? But I typically wind up getting mine at the uh, the grocery store, and I get it. Uh, I, I don't. I can't remember the last time I've actually been to Starbucks. It's been a little while. Um, but I've got all these gift cards waiting to be used. Trust me, I'll be there. But uh, it's just a matter of getting there. Amen. Amen. All right. All right we're gonna. That's the end there. There's another song coming after that. But that's for next week. Amen. So <laughs> we. Um, that was the Community Praise Church. The praise team uh, live doing Lord their, their version of Lord You Are Good. Uh, Lisa, good morning. Starbucks is overrated. Well, when it comes to price, yes, absolutely. So we'll move on. <laughs> so we're just going to bash Starbucks now this morning. Um, anyway, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> uh, let's uh, get into our announcements for today, and we appreciate all of you being here. Thank you for being here. We we could not do this without you. I mean, let's face it. This is we've been doing this for over two years, and it's been. A real blessing to be able to come and uh, serve our church as well as others who are not even in our church who tune in to our sessions. And we appreciate that very much. And I just want to I can't stress enough the importance of keeping Sunday school at the forefront. We many churches don't teach Sunday school and a lot of churches, if they teach it, it's very it's a very cursory thing. It's not anything special. We are online doing it and we're going to stay online doing it for as long as. Uh, I have any say so about it, um, so we appreciate you being here. Whether we're doing it from here or doing it at the church, in a in a date in the future, uh, we appreciate everyone who sees the importance and understands the importance of Sunday school. It's really really important. Here are our announcements for today. Pastor Gus has this week's message. He is presenting uh, the judgment seat of Christ. It is uh, that is the focus of his message. It is a very, very good message. It is online and will be available after Sunday school, uh, after the completion of Sunday school here on the Akron Alliance Fellowship timeline. It will be there waiting for you um, and for you to sit back and enjoy it. The great thing about online uh, messages and, and things of that nature is that you can listen, uh, get up, stop, do something else, tune in, uh, push uh, stop and push play again. Go back and listen to something you didn't quite hear or understand. That's the beauty of it, and for those of us who are going to church today at 11 o'clock, we won't have that luxury, but we'll see the message live and in person, um, and prayerfully we'll get through much of that message with the time constraints we have at our church. We want to try to keep it and uh, keep the church visit within 75 to 90 minutes overall, so that's, what we, that's always the goal, and we want to keep that in mind as we look and listen. So anything you didn't get today live in church, you can come back and look at it live Look at it here online on the timeline, and that's the beauty of it all. Whether you're there at church or not, you still have the full church experience here with Akron Alliance Fellowship. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We uh, appreciate everyone taking into consideration the gift uh, giving uh, to the church as a matter of showing uh, uh, basically the appreciation you have for the gospel, the ministry, the things that we're trying to convey, and also making sure we're taking care of bills. Amen. That's important, too. Um, if you're mailing your tithes and offerings, it goes to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688-688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. We appreciate you doing that and taking care of that. Um, we are very appreciative of people who have kept on giving even through the pandemic and everything else that's taken place, and it's been just a real blessing. We appreciate that. It is uh, very much appreciated. I can't stress that enough. So. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get into Sunday School because we, we have a brief review on what we talked about last week as well as getting into the uh, rest of the subject of canonicity. And so I want to do that and say that very clearly, uh, make sure that we're not uh, running words together. Canonicity, it is a very, very important subject about how 
When we talk about biblical inerrancy, we talk about the importance of how God laid together and put forth a path for us to receive and have the Bible that we have today. The Bible that we can trust is completely accurate, 100% accurate when it comes to the conveyance of God's Word. And we have had previous discussions about how uh, there have been pieces, parts of the Word where they've had to either go back and make corrections or there are still some things that are uh, questionable, but none of those things have anything to do with the overall message of the Lord Jesus Christ conveying um, his truth to the people, the people that need to hear it most, especially the love of Christ, what Christ has done for us by dying on the cross. All of those things are, are still well you know, held together intact within the, in God's word, and we appreciate that. And we can't stress enough the importance of, of everyone on this call, everyone on this uh, on this call, everyone on this particular program and listening and paying attention and those and even those who are not, you've got to be in the word and you have to stay in the word because that's how God communicates with us. That's the most important for, thing for us to see here. He communicates to us, of course, through speaking to us personally. Um, and some uh, very important point that was raised earlier that I listened to from uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. He's right. If you want to hear God's voice, you have to ask him. And you have to say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. You have to uh, be ready for him when he speaks to you, that you listen to him. And that you be obedient to him, frankly, when he gives you that information. So there's a lot of uh, maturity that is involved in becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That maturity is also, it foundationally has to do with how much you're in the Word and studying and reading the Word so that you'll know when God is speaking to you because you'll recognize the word that he is giving you on paper right in front of you, right? So these are all things that we want to make sure that we're doing and focusing on. This canonicity that we're going to get into, just uh, again to remind everyone of the source, of the sources, because there's uh, three different sources here. Um, Sid Litke uh, from How We Got the Bible, he is one of the... Uh, people here that are involved in this. Norman Geisler, who uh, has a book about um, the Bible and and biblical inerrancy as well, too. And Bill McRae, who taught a class uh, that they have audio of online as well, too. Uh, These are all wonderful sources of information. And all three of them have takes that are uh, different. But when you blend them all together, it's like, wow, it, it, it just shows what God truly has done to make sure that he wants to convey his truth to us. And and that's what we want to make sure that we recognize here as we look at God's goodness. He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to see the truth. And he wants us to also know that every bit that we're reading is inspired by God. It's really important for us to understand that too. Okay, with that in mind, after that little brief introduction, we're going to get back into the lesson of canonicity. And this will be part two because we covered Uh, much of the Old Testament uh, last time, and we're going to cover some of the New Testament and also uh, another uh, topic, the Apocrypha, which is a very important part of understanding why the Apocrypha is not not included in uh, a lot of the translations that we have today. Some of the newer ones actually did include the Apocrypha, but we want to understand what um, these scholars have written about the Apocrypha and what that really means and, and 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 let let me just say this too, just before we get into it a little bit further, the apocrypha does have uh, meaning when it comes to historical references, but it is not uh, considered to be part of the 66 books of the Bible that are approved and that we look to. But it's not something that uh, we will look at that with a little bit more detail later. But I want to be clear on that. That um, of course we have a lot of books today, and I want to be. Uh, very uh, cautious as I approach this subject when, with some of our Catholic friends I, uh, who uh, may have a dispute about the Apocrypha and its uh, its meaning, but I'm only going by the research that I've done and what I've seen and, and what I'm looking at here, and I can just say very clearly that uh, based upon the research that I have, that the Apocrypha is, these are historical documents, but they're not the inspired word of God, so we have to look at it for what it truly is. Okay. Thank you for letting me do that. And now we're going to get into today's lesson. 
Uh, I hope you have your Bibles and electronic devices with you because we will be looking at some passages, and I want to remind you of that. And we always go by what Scripture says. We always want to go back to that because that is the authority that we look to. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just thank you for this time that you have given to us to sit and quietly listen to you speak to us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that the words that are used in this lesson and all lessons, Lord, are not my words, but your words. I want to convey what you would have the people to know and see uh, in this material. And Lord, um, even as I make bobbles or, or say things that may not be completely right because I'm going so fast, help me to slow my mind down to be able to convey your truth. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. And the most important thing, Lord, is the reminder, too, that everybody who gets involved with listening at Sunday school, they have to go back and do the research themselves as well, too. And they need to be back, be the Bereans that they are called to be. That is the importance of being mature and not just taking the word of everything that I say or anybody says, but going back and seeking the wisdom, your knowledge, your truth for themselves. And we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it's not all about what I say. It's about just going back and seeking, seeking what the scriptures say and how the Lord speaks to you on it. So we want to convey that as well, too. And that is exactly what was involved with those early church councils when it came to canonicity. That's exactly what was taking place. They were the ones that were being inspired by God to give recognition to the different books, the different writings that were taking place. And we know that the Old Testament uh, had a... Uh, there were some tests. Um, just as a reminder, this is a brief reminder of what we talked about last week. Very important for us to understand that they didn't just sit around in a room somewhere and say, hey, you know, let's just pick this book, let's pick this book. No, there had to be tests that had to be used to measure the quality of the, uh, the writings that had taken place. Is it authoritative? As in, did the Lord say it? Amen. Is it prophetic? Is it authentic? Was it something that was consistent with the different parts of Scripture as well, too? And you'll find that the 66 books in the Bible are amazingly authentic, amazingly consistent. There's no contradiction of God's Word within those 66 books. Is it dynamic? Does it show the life-changing power of uh, the Lord uh, when it comes to what He is doing? And is it received and used and accepted by believers. These are all things that are very important. When the church councils got together, they had to put those tests in place to make sure that these books were all indeed authentic. And so we talked about the Old Testament uh, books and references to all of those things, and there were different councils that were involved in that. And we even uh, mentioned that Josephus, who is a historian, by the way, uh, he indicated that 39 books of the Old Testament were authoritative, and so we go on that. We also had a very brief discussion about some books where there was a question about some, about 600 A.D. This was well after these books were written, well after all of this was already decided by the different councils, right? And we talked about Ecclesiastes, Esther, and the Song of Solomon, Ezekiel, and Proverbs, but we went back and looked at those again and recognized that all of them are still authentic just because there are different writing styles, just because there's different ways that uh, are being portrayed. It did not mean that they weren't the inspired words of God. And so, of course, those, by, those books did stick and they remain in place. So, again, the 39 books were recognized as authoritative scripture, uh, especially from the Council of Jamnia. That was in AD 90. So that was... Well after that, about 500 years later, came the people who were coming out about the other books being uh, inauthentic, but there was nothing that really was said or done that to take that, uh, have them take action to that. And I'm very glad for that because I appreciate the writings in all of those books we mentioned. They're fantastic. Um, they are, the Proverbs and the Psalms are, are just uh, wonderful, wonderful books to read uh, as far as God's truth is concerned. And... And, and really relatable, too, if you think about the Psalms, really relatable for us as individuals when it comes to our, our emotions, our feelings, the things that take place. For those who get depressed, you know, you can just turn to the Psalms and look at the writings of uh, David, who was indeed depressed at some point in time because he 
had people chasing him that were trying to kill him. And, and so you know, it's very relatable stuff in Scripture that really makes a great connection with us when it comes to the different ups and downs that we have in life, right? There's, there's psalms of praise in there, and there's psalms where even when people are down, and I think that's what that song was we just listened to, when even when the Lord is good, even when we are going through hard times. The Lord is good when we're struggling and suffering, and these books that we read within the Bible help us to relate to those very things. That's what's really important for us to see and understand. God wants us to be able to take the scriptures that we read and apply them to our lives. That's why we read these things. We go back historically and look at the different audiences that Paul and Peter and John wrote to uh, in the New Testament, which is what we're going to get into right now. But the reality is is that that those writings are, are timeless writings. They go beyond just what's written to those churches. They write, are written to people like us, like you and me, who need guidance, God's guidance, and we can relate to those writings today. Because what did, what did Peter, what did Peter and um, what did uh, John write about? Uh, they wrote about things that are very realistic related to today. People who doubt the Lord, people who would rather go their own way, people who would rather use their own way to seek after God rather than uh, looking directly to the Lord and focusing on Him. Um, people who, there were false teachers, false teachers all over the place. That's the whole point. It's all relatable to today because ever since um, basically Jesus existed, there were false teachers. And, and, and that was what was taking place. We need to recognize that these books convey truth for us to be used and relatable today. Don't ever go back and let somebody convince you and saying the Bible is irrelevant for today. It is absolutely more relevant today than any book can ever be, and that's the truth. So I don't know why people were doing it other than I think people were trying to divert attention to something else um, that maybe they wanted to push or whatever it was. But uh, the Bible is more relevant today than it's ever been. Don't ever let anybody convince you otherwise. So we talked about the Old Testament last week, and now let's get into the New Testament canon, which is a little bit more recent uh, if we're talking about uh, people approving or the, the the church councils approving these books as being authentic. And the New Testament canon is doing what? Recognizing the correct New Testament books. Remember, the canon is a word that comes from uh, the Greek and Hebrew words that literally mean a measuring rod. Canonicity is measuring the standards of these books to determine if they are indeed the uh, the, the scripture that is God-breathed, the, the exact thing that we want to look at here. So here we go. First of all, the apostles claimed authority for the writings. That's what we need to look at here. And there's scripture that shows that. Let's turn, first of all, to here's where we start working with it. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Colossians 3.16. My wife just flexed her <laughs> to get ready to start typing. Colossians 3.16. We're very thankful, though, that she has a keyboard to type. I think that's important, too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Colossians 3.16 uh, is the first Bible, uh, Bible verse we're going to look at this morning. And it's, uh, it's great that in the New Testament, the writers themselves, the apostles who were the writers of these different letters in the New Testament, these books and letters, were indeed... Uh, writing within the text that this scripture was authentic. The, the apostles claimed authority for their writings in Colossians 3.16. This is the New Living Translation. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And notice that it's about God's wisdom. It's not the writer's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. That's what we need to convey here. Another one to look at is 1 Thessalonians 5.27. 1 Thessalonians 5.27. 5.27, 1 Thessalonians. And this is uh, basically a passage that says where these scriptures, where these words are coming from. You, if you go further up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you see the the one-sentence verses, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will in you in Christ Jesus. 
Verse 27 in chapter 5 says, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. Amen. Read this letter to all the brothers and sisters in the name of the Lord. Because it's in his name. These are his words. They are being conveyed. Um, one more passage to look at. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And it's going to be verse 14. And I think this was covered recently. I, I remember from another passage. But we need to recognize that. If we choose not to follow what the word says, we've we've made a very egregious mistake. We we are we're not being obedient to God's word. We're not following God's word. If we choose to make the decision to say it's not worth my time, it's not worth the effort to find it to to find the time to study or read it, that's a huge huge mistake. And it's something that you have to have the discipline to understand that being in God's word every day should be something you desire to do and not because someone tells you to do it or even and no one's going to coerce you to do it because you ultimately have the ultimate final say as to whether or not you want to get into it or not look what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3:14 take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter stay away from them so that they from them so they will be ashamed um you and you want to make sure that you are, are not doing so in such a way where if someone says they don't really understand the word of God, you want to still treat them, though, as your brother or sister. And you want to make sure that they understand that it's really, really important for them to get into the word and stay in the word. So when we say stay away from them, uh, honestly, it's one of those things where I think we have to recognize that if a person chooses to not follow Jesus Christ – that person's influence should not be in your part of your life. I think that's what is being conveyed here in this particular passage. If they make, if they made the choice after hearing what the truth is, and they decide not to take a part in the truth, they don't want any part of it. Then you don't want them to be a part of influence in your life. I had to learn that lesson a long time ago. With uh, people who profess to follow the Lord and say they follow the Lord, but. When it came right down to it, they really weren't, and they really made the decision not to do so. And and ultimately, you have to say that person should not be uh, an influential part of your life. You want to you want to make sure make sure that your choices that you're making are good in that area because it can have a corrupting effect on you. Is what the reason for that is. Okay, let's move on. The New Testament, the apostles' writings were equated with Old Testament scriptures. We're going to be in 2 Peter for this one. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. And they're going to be, let's see here. Start with verse 1. 2 Peter 3 verse 1. And we're going to look at verse 1. And there, there's also going to be verse 2. And we're also going to go to 15 and 16. <laughs> That was that was for my uh, my lovely bride who was waiting for me to just say say it say it verses one and two and then verses fifteen and sixteen. Second um, Peter three verse one. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. It's a letter from Peter, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago. And what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. This is again going back and saying that these writings are we being equated with the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, he's going back and talking about the holy prophets, the ones who wrote the original books in the uh, Old Testament. And now drop down to verses 15 and 16. Same uh, book, Second Peter chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Wow. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. So here is Paul giving props to Peter as well. Uh, Peter giving props to Paul as well. I had to say it, say it the correct way. Peter giving props to Paul. And then verse 16. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. 
and this will result in their destruction. Now, this is something that's really, really important for you to understand and see here. If you alter the words, if you take the words written in Scripture and try to bend them into your own personal meaning, it's sinful to do so. Amen? Now let's call it what it is. It's sinful to do so because you're only acting in the flesh. If you're ignoring what the totality of Scripture is saying, you're just being fleshly. And you're, you're, causing, you're causing yourself to have, not have any fellowship with the Lord. This is a very important statement that, that Peter is making here. And he wants, people, he wants people to understand that this scripture, you cannot change the words around just for your own benefit. You can't change the words around just to, to try to gain followers or do whatever you're doing. And unfortunately, remember when I said how irrelevant this is to today? It's extremely relevant to today. Uh, there are a lot of people who are not very authentic when it comes to their following what Scripture says, and they will take the words that are being portrayed in Scripture and try to bend them and shape them and mold them into something that is not what the God of Word intends for us to see and understand. And honestly, that's what took place during that time as Peter was writing this letter, as well as other times, uh, frankly, when uh, you know people today, they look at the words and you have to listen very carefully sometimes what people are saying. Um, not everybody who's on TV is worth following. Not everyone who is um, even writing books or anything like that is worth considering as well, too. We have to make sure that they are indeed following what Scripture says. That's the most important thing. You have to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that when you hear something. Uh, I'm prayerful that our church will always set an example, honestly, to make sure that the word being conveyed is truth. It is indeed saying what God would intend to have us to say. And that when you hear what we say, hopefully you convey the very same things to others as you do your own research and study and listen as well too. Another point, uh, so I can keep moving along here, the Council of Athanasius in A.D. 367 and the Council of Carthage in A.D. 397 recognize the 27 books in our New Testament today as inspired. So there were a couple of different councils of note that recognize the New Testament books. And there are 27 books in the New Testament. And we say books, you know, it, you know, you have Jude and you have uh, some very short books in, in the New Testament. But they're all books and they're all recognized. That's what's very important for us to see. Now, let's get to a part that is somewhat controversial and don't mean it to be, but it is. The disputed but non-canonical canonical books. The disputed but non-canonical books. I say that very quick five times and you'll, you'll mess up, frankly, like I just did. The Apocrypha is one of them. The Apocrypha is not scripture. Now, the word Apocrypha uh, means hidden or obscure. And you have a lot of people who will try to give credence to these books as being um, God's truth, but they're hidden truths. Well, first of all, there's a huge conflict in just that statement. God is not hiding anything from us. Amen? He makes things very clear to us. If anybody comes to you and talks about, what about these other hidden or obscure books? Your immediate response is that God, we don't, we don't worship a God who hides anything from us or keeps things hidden. Uh, under a rug, he reveals everything to us through the scriptures that we have. And so when an argument like that is made, it automatically should be shut down because our, our God's character is not to hide anything from us. Let's, let's face it, that's not what he does, and we need to recognize that. So for those who make that statement, uh, you immediately want to have them go back and look at the other scriptures and say, is God hiding anything from us in these scriptures? So why are we saying that these books are important over what we already know and understand when it comes to the 66 books we have? And so the word apocryphy, apocryphal, um, there are 15 books that were written in the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Now, keep this in mind. God went silent for 400, uh, for 400 years after the book of Malachi. He was silent. He was not speaking to his people. And it had everything to do with, uh, frankly, the, the level of the people's obedience. They were not obedient to the Lord. And, you know, Malachi was one of the last of the prophets to warn them of this and, and speak to that issue. But these books were written, what, within that time frame between Malachi and Matthew. 
And so Bill McRae, one of the people who is uh, the source of this material, mentioned that the Apocrypha was included in the Septuagint, which was the text that Jesus and the apostles referred to in Scripture. They were included in the Septuagint, but we need to note that neither Jesus nor the apostles use any of the Apocrypha passages for reference. None of them did. We do know that there had been references made. They were not considered to be the inspired word of God. It was non-canonical. So we need to recognize that. Now, let's go back and look at this further. These the apocryphal books record some of the history of that time period and various other religious stories and teachings. Of course, the Catholic Bible, uh, the Douay version, regards these books as scripture. Um, the apocrypha includes some specific Catholic doctrines, such as purgatory and prayer for the dead. That's in Second Maccabees chapter 12, verses 39 through 46. And salvation by works, almsgiving in Tobit 12.9. But interestingly, the Catholic Church officially recognized these books as scripture in A.D. 1546. And do you know why they did that? <laughs> they wanted to do that um, because there was essentially so much criticism. Martin Luther had criticized these doctrines as unbiblical. And this was only 29 years afterwards. So you have to understand, it was the Reformation that drove the Catholic Church to put these books in and include these as canonical um, in A.D. 1546. We haven't even gotten to uh, Martin Luther yet, but we will be getting to that. But it's just important for us to see that these books were included as Scripture when the Reformation was taking place. What was the Reformation? It was a protest against what the Catholic Church was presenting to the people, and it was, of course, it was the most, it was when it was the largest church at the time. It was, it was a very important church. But this criticism had, that had taken place, and I guess the church had decided to re recognize the books of Scripture at that time. So, let's look at several reasons why we want to reject the apocrypha as inspired. And again, I say this with all due sensitivity to those who have been raised with. Uh, Catholic Bibles and looking at scriptures like this, but we want to look at it for what it really represents and what it says. It doesn't mean that the books are worthless books, but we cannot include them into the 66 because of the fact that there are some issues with them. First of all, the Jews never recognized the Apocrypha scripture. They never recognized the Apocrypha. It was never included in the Hebrew Old Testament. Here's a fun fact for all of us to recognize and understand here. We just got through talking about how in the Old Testament, the 39 Old Testament books are recognized um, as scripture. Guess who else recognizes those? The Jews. If you were to go to temple today and go, and see a t uh, go to the temple and open up their Bible, guess what you're going to find? All 39 of those books in the Old Testament in the temple. They are using those books, and we're using the same books in our Bible, but not the Apocrypha. It's not in there. You won't find them in a temple. You won't find them uh, anywhere there. That's a really important thing to recognize here. You see the continuity here of what the Old Testament represents and what the Jews recognize as the word, the Old Testament? It was never included in the Hebrew Old Testament. Just the 39 books that are there. The ones that we read. The next thing, the Apocrypha never claims to be inspired as in, thus saith the Lord. What's the test? Was it indeed inspired by the word of God? Um, and the answer is no, it wasn't. Uh, in fact, 1 Maccabees 9.27 denies it. it. It denies that these words are inspired. It says Maccabees denies that he was a prophet on at least three different occasions when he writes that. He's just a writer. He's not saying he's a prophet. So even he says so within one of the books within this Apocrypha. Third point, the Apocrypha is never quoted as authoritative in scriptures. Remember, one of the tests, is it authoritative? 
Um, although Hebrews 11 verses 35 through 38 alludes to historic events re- recorded in 2 Maccabees chapter 6 verse 18 through chapter 7 verse 42, but it's never quoted as authoritative. Um, and so we want to recognize that. Now let's just for just for uh, for fun, let's look at Hebrews 11 verses 35 through 38, and we want to recognize that. The Bible is a historical document as well, too, right? It records parts of history, and, and we recognize that uh, very clearly. And the Bible is regarded very highly as a historical document, as well as being authoritative, as well as being God-inspired, because there's no reason to deny history. History is there and present for us. But look what it says here in, in Hebrews 11, verses 35 through 38. Women receive their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Um, It's rumored that Isaiah was one of the prophets who was sawed in half, uh, uh, basically hiding in a tree. And he was cut cut in half at that point. Uh, And so these are all things that are relevant in many areas of Scripture where we know that those who were followers of the Lord were, were being persecuted. They were being chased after. They were ridiculed they were beaten they were chained they were imprisoned these are all things that were part of historic part of history and so even though we know about this and we re- reference this here too second maccabees does the same thing it refers to the same historical issue but it it's not authoritative it's not something that we want to say is authoritative um and finally in matthew 23:35 go to matthew 2335 Now what it says in Matthew 2335 is is very interesting too. It says Jesus uh, was Jesus was making imp- implication here. It says as a result, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 2335, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. From the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, what was he trying to say here? Jesus was implying here that the close of the Old Testament historical scripture was the death of Zechariah in 400 B.C. This excludes any books written after Malachi and before the New Testament. That's why we have this period of 400 years of silence these writings in the apocrypha are basically filling in for those years but that doesn't make them authentic when it comes to scripture they're included writings that's it so we want to make sure we understand that as we look at this and there are other disputed books that are also not scripture um and i hope this that the section we just covered here about the apocrypha makes it very clear that the Apocrypha is not something evil, it's not something to be hated, it's not something to be despised, it's to be treated as it is. It's not scripture. It's not the scripture that's God-ordained. It's more of a historical nature. It does help us to see some things within scripture that are beneficial, uh, and that's fine, but we just want, don't want to trump this out as being scripture, as being God-ordained. It's not. So we just recognize that for what it is. Now, that's always going to be in dispute for those who believe it is part of Scripture, but we also want to recognize that it was not part of Scripture for a long time, and it took, frankly, the Protestant Reformation to get um, those books as being recognized as Scripture. There are other disputed books, too, not in Scripture. Um, Some of them were written in the intertestamental period and called uh, Old Testament Pseudepigrapha, or false writings. <laughs> false writings. Pseudopigrapha. I can't even believe I just said that word the first time correctly. 
I've tested it before, and I just want to make sure that I said it correctly here this time. False writings is the, is the way to say it, okay? Uh, others were written after the apostolic age in the second century AD and following, and these are called New Testament pseudepigrapha, okay? And I'm not going to say that word again because I'm, I don't want to press my luck here. Um, the writers often ascribe these books to the first century apostles. They would, you've heard about, maybe you've heard these already, right? The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, etc., right? Now, evidently, whoever wrote these figured they'd be more widely read if they attached the name of an apostle. And, and that's, you know, that's, not, that's really interesting that they would do that because they want to try to get those books to be read as being authentic. Even though Thomas's name is attached to it, one of the apostles, Peter's name is attached to it. But they include some fanciful stories of Jesus' childhood and some heretical doctrines. Uh, no Orthodox Christian seriously considered these books to be inspired. Just because Peter's name is attached to it, just because Thomas's name is attached to it, they couldn't come back and defend themselves, say these books are inauthentic. We have to look at them and see do they really match up. Again, there's no such thing as anything be hidden, being hidden in Scripture where you can go and find the lost books of the Bible, right? These are just lost letters. They're just writings. There are people who are writing things that, uh, to get attention, honestly. I'm just going to tell it like it is. That's all it is. There's nothing authentic about these books. And so we need to recognize that as we look at these passages or look at these books, there was a lot of fuss about this. It happens every now and then. It kind of comes and goes a little bit. Or people talk about, well, is scripture authentic? What about all these other books? Well, what about them? Um, they're writings. They're not the books that are God-inspired. And, and you know what? A lot of this comes down to faith, doesn't it? Uh, we, we've had people come before us who have looked at these writings and declared the inconsistencies in these writings and state that, well, because of these things, they are not consistent with God's word. And because they came afterward, they were written in such a way where um, they were after the, you know, in some of these books were just written afterward or written during the time when they were trying to get the Bible figured out uh, as far as what the actual books were and what the writings need to be. Uh, when you recognize that these books are not recognized anywhere as being authentic, uh, there's no, nothing out there that makes them authentic. We make them authentic based upon our own fleshliness. I think that's the way to put it. We will try to give authenticity to something like this because we, a lot of people would like to try to play games with uh, having people get involved with reading this stuff to see if it, in fact, that there's something missing that is hidden in the scriptures. There's nothing hidden in the scriptures. It's all very clear when we look at what our Bible says. It's very clear of what we need to do to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just believe in him. Believe that he is Lord and Savior. There's nothing secret about that. That's truth. And that's the foundation of our faith, isn't it? There are other m more sincerely written books that had devotional value and reveal some of the insights of Christian leaders after the first century. And we talk about a lot of these guys who were doing writings. Um, Shepherd of Hermas, Didache, um, they have historical value and they are spiritually helpful, but they don't measure up to the standards of canonicity and were not recognized as scripture. And we have to understand something. The devotional books that we read today the books that are written by uh, the different writers that we see today, there's so many of them that we look to, right? A lot of them may have beneficial uh, purposes to point people back to Scripture, but it doesn't make them scriptural. Uh, and so we need to recognize there's nothing wrong with reading other books as well, too. There's nothing wrong with looking at commentaries because Matthew Henry commentary or any, anybody else for that matter, any other commentaries that we read, there's nothing wrong with looking at those things, but we always recognize that at the end of the day, the Spirit has to speak and give us direction as to what Scripture truly is trying to say to us. These extra writings are supposed to point us back to the 66 books in the Bible. That's what they're supposed to do, and that's what they should be doing, and nothing less than that. So there's a lot of great writings out there. Um, Thomas Aquinas, great writer, wrote some things as well, too. But he wrote basically about what? Scripture. And so we need to recognize that it's okay to write about Scripture and write letters to help us to understand, maybe, through commentaries, what Scripture is saying. But at the end of the day, we go right back to the original 66 books, the canonicity 
these Bibles, these Bi- the Bible, these books are included in this Bible. These Bibles are the ones that are indeed authentic. We need to look to these each and every day. We should be reading from the Bible first. All these other books are secondary, the, the, the commentaries, the, the devotionals. These are all secondary. They're support. They help us to understand what's written in the 66 books. That is how they're to be treated. And so we recognize that these other books that we talked about, the Apocrypha, the other disputed writings, there's no secrets out there, everybody. No hidden words, nothing for us to try to decode, nothing for us to try to compute and figure out. God's word is very clear, and it's in the 66 books. And the church fathers saw to it that these books were put forth as the original scriptures. And we're very thankful they did that because God is the one who had to move to make sure that they spoke on behalf of him before the people. Amen? And we appreciate that very much. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your teaching about canonicity and the importance of recognizing the 66 books of the Bible as being your spoken words for us to read and interpret, not to be twisted, not to be turned around upside down into something that has a different meaning, because we know that if we do that, we are asking for more than just trouble. Uh, We're asking for condemnation. Lord, may we remember the importance of not altering the words that we read, but recognizing that these indeed are your words of truth. Bless us and keep us, Lord, as we move forward, as we continue this study on biblical inerrancy, that we indeed are looking at your written words as we read, acknowledge, recognize who you are. Lord, speak to us. And that when we read your scripture, you speak to us also, that we can hear your voice audibly. And we thank you for your presence. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today for another edition of Livestream Sunday School. We appreciate you hanging online. If you're not going to be in church with us, to stay online for Pastor Gus's message, The Judgment Seat of Christ. And for those of you in Akron, I'll see you in a little while. Take care. Save us a spot. <laughs> Amen. Take care of yourselves, everybody. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.